Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about the future and how we are called to prepare for it as followers of Jesus Christ. Aren't we fascinated by the future? Don't we, don't we long to know, at least in part, what the future holds for us, the, the unknown? Because somehow we think that if we knew what was going to take place, that it would make our lives easier. Uh, many of you know that I was in Ethiopia a couple weeks ago, and it just so happened that the Monday I landed in Ethiopia was when LSU was playing the national championship. And of course, some sort of comedic divine justice in my life that, you know, longing as an LSU fan for this national championship, the Lord would months before remove the opportunity for me to watch it, thus making sure that LSU was not an idol in my heart and that I would be in Ethiopia. And in Ethiopia, you can't watch it. You can't watch the game. They block it internationally. I could listen to some of it, but we had to leave early in the morning to go to our destination. So I got up at four in the morning, Ethiopia time, and got to listen to the first quarter of the national championship, but then we had to leave. And at the time, it was 17 to seven in favor of Clemson. So I was really nervous about what was going to happen. And the whole drive, I was nervous because I didn't know what was going to take place in the game. And I actually thought we were going to lose. Over time, though, my friends began to text me, and I kind of began to get a feel for what was going to happen in the game. But I didn't get to watch the game until a week later. As I was preparing to leave the country of Ethiopia, I noticed that someone had posted it on YouTube. And so as I was waiting for my plane, I just very quickly and carefully got to watch everything that I had heard happen unfold. But what was interesting about that, watching the game at that moment, is that all the tension was gone. Whereas there was a lot of tension when I was watching the first quarter happen or listening to the first quarter happen in real time, by the time I began to watch it in, in, on video, I already knew what was going to happen. And so even if there was a moment where things weren't going LSU's way, I knew what the end score was going to be. And so there wasn't as much uh, anxiety, angst in me, because even though in the moment there was a setback, ultimately I knew who was going to win the game. Friends, I want to tell you something this morning. As followers of Christ, as people who have the completed, fulfilled word of God, we know who's going to win the game. We know what the future holds for us. Not everything, but we know many things. And the many things that we know about what will take place when the end comes, when Christ returns, should give us confidence to live faithfully today. There may be things that happen that are unexpected. There may be some things that if we didn't know the future would cause us anxiety. But hear me, because of what we know is promised before us, we can live with confidence. We can live faithfully and in peace today. We see this on display in our passage this morning, Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 26. In Paul's life, he clings to the future promises of God in order to remain faithful in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. And through his example, he teaches us how the future promises of God can help us to live with greater faithfulness as God's people today. So let's read together from Paul's example, 
beginning in verse 18 of Philippians chapter 1. Here's what the Word of God says. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I would at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Right at the beginning of our passage today, we see a, a turn of focus for Paul. He shifts from a consideration of his present circumstances and how even in his imprisonment, God is using his present difficult circumstances to advance the gospel. And he begins to think about future circumstances, a transition from a present mentality to a future mentality. He has rejoiced and he is rejoicing over the way the gospel is advancing. But there is also a future aspect to his rejoicing. Not just that he has rejoiced, not just that he is rejoicing, but that he will rejoice. See, so much of our rejoicing as Christians, so much of our rejoicing as believers in Christ Jesus is not only attached to the fruit of the gospel that we see display all around us, but more than that, it's tied to the future hope we have because of the work of Christ. Listen, there's a lot to rejoice in today. There's a there's a lot that we as the church can rejoice in because of how the gospel is advancing. I hope you rejoiced last week when we heard how the gospel is advancing in Ethiopia. I hope that you, would, you rejoice every time you hear the gospel is taking root in some of the hardest places in the world for Christians to live and to proclaim the, the good news of Jesus Christ. We should rejoice every time we hear the Great Commission being fulfilled around the world. But our rejoicing should not stop there because we have something even greater to rejoice in. And that's where this movement of the gospel is leading us to. There's much to rejoice in today, yes, but friends, the future, the future for those of us who are in Christ holds a far greater promise, a promise of full deliverance. You see, Christianity is a message of hope. The gospel that we've been entrusted with is a message of hope. It is a message, though, of future hope that we get to taste a little bit of now, but know that it won't be fully realized until Christ's return. This is what Paul's testimony is here. He knows that 
one way or another, he will be delivered. I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Holy Spirit, verse 19, that this will turn out for my deliverance. In Paul's mind, here's what he knows. I'm going to be delivered or I'm going to be delivered. It reminds me a little bit of something I heard from a funeral I got to see some some pieces of in the past couple of weeks, the, the funeral of Pastor Tony Evans' wife, Lois. Any of you get to watch any of that? It was incredible. Very uh, honoring to the Lord, celebrating a godly sister's life. There was so much encouragement, though, coming from the words of those who were eulogizing uh, our sister in Christ, Lois. And her son, Jonathan, got up to, to eulogize her, and he spoke of the confidence that his mom had and that he and his family had in the promises of God. He got up and he said, listen, we were praying for physical healing. We were praying for her to stay here. And in a, a moment of revelation from the Lord, Jonathan said, our, our family began to, be, began to be convicted. And here's what we came to realize. Our mother was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Incredible, right? Our mother was going to live or she was going to live. Our mother was going to be delivered or she was going to be delivered. There's an element of hope, certainly, that she would be delivered in this life. But that family and Miss Lois's life, uh, their hope was not only tied to this life because they knew there was a greater promise that awaited them. And that's exactly what's happening in Paul's life here. He knows one way or another he's going to be delivered and he's okay any way it goes because ultimately he knows he is in the hands of Almighty God. There's a possibility he will be delivered physically, but even if not, there's a greater deliverance Paul trusts in that gives him sustaining hope. And that's why Paul can confidently say, quoting one of the most famous verses in Scripture, verse 21, that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul really believed that. That if God was going to allow him to stay, he was going to give his life to Christ. But if he caused him to, to go home to glory, then he would be in a far better place. So here's our challenge today. How can we learn from our brother Paul, following him as he followed Christ, understanding that he was imperfect, yes, but a, a worthy brother who we can learn some, some important lessons from as we seek to live faithfully in light of Christ? How can we follow him and live with the same kind of confidence? How can we live today faithfully in light of what God has promised us for tomorrow? I, I see three commitments in the life of Paul that he writes about here in these, these verses from Philippians 1 that I think we need to embrace if we're going to be able to live faithfully now in light of God's promises for tomorrow. So let me offer these three commitments to you. I'll say them all and then we'll go through each one together, okay? The first commitment is this. We embrace the tension of gospel hope. Secondly, we ask for spiritual strength in prayer. And then thirdly, we trust in the sovereignty of God. Three commitments that Paul held to that allowed him to live faithfully today in light of God's promises for tomorrow. The first one, first commitment. We embrace the tension of gospel hope. You know, I read these verses of Scripture and I can't be 
I can't help but be overwhelmed by a tension that I see in the life of Paul that I felt in my own life and that I've, I've seen kind of throughout the history of the Christian church, certainly all over the pages of the New Testament, this tension between the already and the not yet. This tension that exists because of our unique place between the two comings of Christ. Our unique place in redemptive history. It's difficult sometimes for us to know how to live faithfully today, how to acknowledge the need for today, how to to take captive every moment of today, and yet at the same time, rightly hope for tomorrow. Paul certainly did this, as did Jesus Christ. You see, there are times in the Christian life when we forsake today because of our hope in tomorrow. But there are also times where we forsake God's promises for tomorrow because of our focus on today. So sometimes we think too much of the hereafter and not enough of the here. But at other times, we think too little of the hereafter and too much of the here. Do you recognize this in your own life? There are times where we're like the, the two disciples of Jesus after his ascension in, in the book of Acts. They're looking up into heaven and they keep staring at heaven. And it's like they're, they're captivated by what just happened. And, and then some angels appear to these guys and they say, hey, why, are you, why do you keep staring up at the heavens? You got work to do. He's going to come back the same way that he left. In the meantime, go be about the father's business, right? And there are times in our lives where I think we are like those disciples, where we keep looking up at the air, just waiting for Christ to return. And we'll read a bunch of books on the end times. We'll read every single book that Tim LaHaye ever wrote. We'll hear sermon after sermon and sermon about heaven and hell and, and the, the need to be prepared for the future. And we get so busy preparing for the future that we forget that God's given us responsibilities today. Right? But at the same time, we can get so, so caught up in the reality of today and the, the work of today and the, the task that God has given us today that we forget that there are eternal implications to every single thing that we're doing today. That there is an eternal reality that we have to be aware of that one day we will give account for what it is that we are doing with the time that God has given to us. So the mission of the church demands a healthy balance of focus, the kind of balance we see in the life of Christ and the kind of balance that we see here in the life of Paul. Then verse 21, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Which, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to the remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. In order to have this balance, we've got to remember two things. Number one, we have to remember why God has left us here. There's a reason why God has left us here. Well, at the same time, we have to remember that here is not all that there is. So we have to always, always hold these things in balance. So let's press into this just for a moment so I can make sure that all of us understand what it is that Paul understands about our current reality. Why has God left us here? Well, he's left us here to continue the work of Christ. There's a reason why the moment you became a a believer in Jesus Christ, God didn't call you home immediately. He could have, right? 
but he's left you here. And he's left you here because there's work to do to establish the church and to build the church for the purposes of the gospel until Jesus Christ returns. Friends, we are called to proclaim Jesus. We're called to proclaim Jesus. And, and Paul rejoices anytime that Christ is proclaimed. We're called to proclaim the work of Christ, the gospel, to those who have not yet heard. And we are called to help those who have heard and responded to the gospel grow in greater faithfulness to Christ. You see, we live in a world that's full of hurt. We live in a world that's full of despair. We live in a world that's full of brokenness. We live in a world where every single corner of creation feels the effect of sin and is longing for something greater and is longing for some remedy to fix everything that's wrong. It's not going to be government, as we saw this week. (laughs) It's not going to be the best humanity can offer. As we've seen throughout history, they are longing for something greater to fix what we know that we cannot fix on our own. And mankind has created and fashioned religions in their own image that only lead to more hopelessness. But we have good news. We know the truth. We know that God who created all things made a plan for everything that was broken by sin to be reconciled, to restored through the work of Jesus Christ. And what we could not do on our own, God has done on our behalf. That's a, that's a message the world needs to hear, right? That's a message that the lostness of this world needs to hear so they know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. And that's what we have been called to do as reconciled people who have responded and believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are to be about the Father's business as Paul was. We are to be committed to the advancement of the gospel. We've been given a gift, and we've partaken in a great truth that sin has been broken and been undone through the work of Christ. And now God has called us to proclaim that faith, that proclaim faithfully that good news to the ends of the earth. But not only that, not only to the lost, but to each other. And to help us grow into greater Christ-likeness, greater righteousness and purity, so that when Christ returns, we will be found without blemish. We are here because we have a mission. That's only part of our focus, though. It's only part of our focus. There should be a present focus in our mind that today there is work to do that God has entrusted to us. But we also have to be reminded of where that work is leading, that all of history is pointing toward a glorious future when Christ Jesus will return and establish his kingdom forever. There's a glorious future awaiting us, a future that informs our commitment to the work of the gospel today. It's this future life that calls us to be faithful to the mission that God has given us in this life. To live is Christ because we know that to die is gain. How is it that that Paul can say that? Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always believe that. We don't always really believe that to die is gain, right? How is it that Paul can say that? What does he believe that allows him to say that being with Christ is far Better. Let me just offer some, some promises that the Bible gives us about 
our reality when we will be with Christ, either as we pass from this life to the next in death or when he returns and calls us home. Firstly, when we are with Christ, we will be free from suffering. That excite anybody? Some of you feel the brokenness of this world in your bodies right now. And I gotta tell you, there's brothers and sisters around the world who are, who are suffering deep, dark things right now. Paul, in prison, don't you know he's longing for the day when there will be no more pain, where there will be no more tears, where there will be no more suffering. That will be realized when we are in the presence of Christ. When we are with Christ, we will have unending joy. Because the fulfillment of every single one of our longings, every single one of our desires will be fully realized in Christ. And we will finally see that that who we were created for is Jesus. And he, he alone satisfies us because he's the bread of life. He is the living water that causes us to never thirst again. When we are with Christ, we will see all of our hopes realized. Everything we've longed for will be fulfilled. When we are with Christ, we will know what it's like to truly live. All of these are promises in the Bible that await us when we get to be with Christ. And Paul is longing for that day. And he has a unique experience to qualify his longing because unlike any of us, he's actually been in the presence of Christ. It was temporary. It was a moment on the road to Damascus, but he knows what it's like to be in the presence of Jesus. And he is longing for the day once again where what was temporary will be eternal. And he wants us to know that whatever it is that we found in this life, it is not better than what awaits us. There is a future that is better. You see, gospel hope is a future hope. It is a sustaining hope. It allows us to live live faithfully today while making sure that our hope is properly situated on tomorrow. It means that we have the mind of Christ who was kind of two places at once, right? He was an eternal being who lived in a temporary moment for our benefit. And that's what we have to realize, guys. We're not made for this world. We're made for another. And our faithfulness here, and we need to be faithful here, is dependent upon our trust in the promises, the future promises of God. Do we really believe that what awaits us is better than today? Do we really believe that what God has promised us in the future being with Christ is far better than what we have today. It doesn't mean that we neglect today. It doesn't mean that we don't see the the joy of today. It just means that it's properly situated in light of what God has promised us. Paul lived that way. He committed himself to living in this, this gospel tension. There's a second commitment, though, that he asked for. He asked for spiritual strength in prayer. And we should commit ourselves to this as well because we know that even with the knowledge that God has given us of our future hope, living with this kind of commitment, living with 
a desire for the future over today, living in a way that would be willing to even sacrifice today for tomorrow is not easy and it is not natural. It's not easy to be committed to the mission of God when your natural life is threatened. You need supernatural strength. Paul has been trained for this. He's had a lot of times where his life's been on the line, a a lot of times where he's suffered, and the Lord has taught him to value the promises of God over his temporary comfort. You see, Paul desires, as he says in our text, to not be shamed by his imprisonment, to not be shamed by his circumstance, and he desires to not bring shame to the sufficiency of Christ. He wants to display supernatural joy and supernatural courage, even though his life is on the line. He wants to offer his life as Christ offered his. But again, this is not natural. It's natural to want to live. It's natural to want to do everything in your power to sustain your life. I was reading some commentaries earlier this week on our passage for today. And one of the the commentaries um, talked about some extraordinary feats that men have done to sustain their life. Some of you probably heard these stories. But in 1993, while fishing in St. Mary's Glacier, Colorado, a guy named Bill Jaraki got his leg pinned under a boulder. And he knew that snow was in the forecast. He didn't have a jacket. He didn't have a pack. He didn't have any communication. And so in a desperate attempt to survive, he used his flannel shirt as a tourniquet, and then he used his fishing knife to cut off his own leg at the knee joint. He used hemostats from his fishing kit kit, to clamp the bleeding arteries, and then he crab walked to his truck and drove himself to the hospital. Now that is a commitment to survival. I don't know that I could have done it. Another one, 2003, Aaron Ralston had a similar experience. While hiking in Utah, a boulder fell and pinned his right arm. And after various attempts to get free, on the sixth day of being stuck there, he amputated his right arm with a dull multi-tool. Exhausted and dehydrated, he rappled down a 60-foot cliff and hiked eight miles before finding a Dutch family who guided him to a rescue helicopter. He eventually made it to the hospital and survived. He had an autobiography he wrote called Between a Rock and a Hard Place. It's an appropriate title. Listen, it's natural to do everything that we can to survive. It is supernatural to be willing to give your life for a future promise, to be able to give your life for a belief. The Spirit must do work in Paul for him to be able to remain faithful to the the calling of God upon his life. He needed spiritual strength. He needs the community of faith to surround him in prayer, lifting him up to enable him to do supernaturally what more than he can do on his own. And so he says, I know, verse 19, that through your prayers, let's not neglect the importance of prayer, the sustaining work of prayer in the life of the believer, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Again, what kind of deliverance? He didn't know. But he knew that whatever it was, he could face with supernatural strength 
because of the Spirit's work upon him. What he needs, what we need, is the work of the Spirit because his focus on Christ is a work of the Spirit. His focus in the midst of being in prison on Christ is a work of the Spirit. If you count, just if you read this passage again, I want you to note how many times the name of Christ is mentioned. Six times. And this very small passage. The only way that Paul could be more focused on the work of Christ than his own life, his own situation, is by the power of the Spirit. And so he's praying, guys, I need you to pray. I'm going to pray. Father, help me keep my focus on Christ and the promises of Christ. That's a supernatural work. The joy he has in the midst of suffering is a work of the Spirit. While most of us would be grumbling, he's singing, right? We've seen him in in prison singing psalms, making prayers. That's a supernatural work. The rejection of self for the sake of Christ and his bride is a work of the Spirit. The love that he has for Jesus is a work of the Spirit of the Spirit. And he knows, in order for him to remain steadfast, in order for him to remain unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not bring shame to Jesus Christ in his circumstance, he knows he needs supernatural power. And so he prays and he asks the Philippian church to gather around him in prayer for the Holy Spirit to do in him what he cannot do on his own. And finally, Paul trusted in the sovereignty of God. Paul says something interesting here at the end of our passage today in verses 25 and 26. He is convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you Again, So he longs to return to the people of Philippi so they can glory in Jesus Christ together. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, Paul knows there's only one way he's going to be delivered, and that's through the, the miraculous hand of God. He knows that regardless of what happens, but specifically if he's delivered from this moment, it will only be because of a supernatural act of God on his behalf. And so he is placing his life, he's placing his trust, he's placing his care in the sovereign goodness of God. Only God will be able to deliver him, and only God will decide whether or not his days will be extended or finished in that moment. He completely rests in the sovereignty of God, and he's convinced that God will allow him to be delivered, and that he will give glory and honor to God for doing it. Because if God delivers him from this moment, God will show his sovereign control over governments, human-established governments, to be about his redemptive purposes. Paul's confident that God is not finished with him yet, even though he longs to be in the presence of Christ, and he will trust in the plan of God over his own plan. And I really need to remind us of this so that we come back to that first tension that we talked about. The knowledge of how much better their hereafter is should not cause us to forsake the now. Depending on where some of you are, I don't know what your health is. I know what some of your health is. Some of you may be just sitting back and and longing for the day that God takes you home. And that's not a bad thing to long for the day when God takes you home, but I also want you to to hear this. 
If God has left lung, our breath in your lungs, he's not finished with you yet. You got work to do. Now, you may not be able to do the same work that you used to do, but do you trust in the sovereignty of God to number your days according to his divine plan? Are you willing to be used by him until he takes you home? Don't retire from the Christian life just because you retired from your job. Don't retire from the work of ministry. Don't retire from the work of the gospel just because you don't have a, a, a physical job, an earthly job anymore. If you've got breath in your lungs, you've got work to do. And the church needs you. The gospel needs you. It's not for us to decide when we transition from this life to the next. That's God's work. And, as, and though we might long to be there, as long as we're here, may we be found faithful to what God has called us to do because we know there's going to be a day when we will give account for how we used every single day that God gave us for his purposes. Let's be committed. Let's be found faithful today because of what we know is promised for us tomorrow. And then when he does take us home, let's rest. And the far better that God has promised us. How shall we be encouraged today, friends? How shall we be challenged in light of what Paul has offered us here in our text? Let me ask you firstly, are you living for Christ? Are you living faithfully today for Jesus because of what you know is promised tomorrow? If you don't know him, at all, let me just tell you, there's going to come a day where you will have to give account for your life. And if you don't have the sacrifice of Christ to cover you, that will be a very dark day indeed. But I want you to know that the sacrifice of Christ is available to you today to prepare you for what is coming. But for the rest of us who've already been covered by the blood of Christ, who've already given our lives to Jesus, are we using every day, every day for the work of Christ, knowing what awaits us? Are we living in proper balance? Or are we so consumed with the day that we forget what is coming? Or are we so consumed with what's coming that we forget about the need for today? Let me ask you one more question. Are you willing to forsake what is here for the promise of what is better? Do you truly believe, as Paul said here, that to be with Christ is better than anything this world can offer you so that you can remain faithful and committed to the work of Christ? I pray that's true of our church. I pray that we would take seriously the mission that God has given to us. I pray that we would daily live at our workplaces and our families to make much of the gospel because we know there's coming a day when Christ will return. And we know there's coming a day when we will give account for how we used everything that God gave us for his purposes. May we be found faithful, living in this tension, full of spiritual strength, trusting in the sovereignty of God. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time before the Lord asking him to help you know how to respond this morning.
how you doing living with gospel hope? Do you think about the future at all? You just trying to get it, try to get it out of your mind because you don't want to worry about that stuff. One day it'll work it all, work it all, it'll work itself out. Or do you take seriously what God has said about the future? And are you living today in light of that future? Or are you longing too much for the future, neglecting the responsibility that God has given you today? May we try to live with this this right gospel balance, being faithful today because of tomorrow. If you're having a hard time with it, well, just remember, it's not natural. It's supernatural. So let's pray. Would you pray that the Lord would give you the strength to live this way? And would you commit to still being a part of a people who can pray around you and lift you up and sustain you in those moments? And would you face any situation that comes your way in light of the sovereignty of God, trusting that his timing, his plan is best. He's the one who's numbered our days. And while we won't be irresponsible with our life, we're going to let him ultimately be responsible for our life. Can you say to live as Christ and die as gain? As Paul did. Father, would you help us? know how to respond this morning. Help us to live with a commitment to Christ because of the gain we know we will get when we die, when we pass from this life to the next. Find us faithful because of how we have clung to your future promises, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.